Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So we have today a, a really exciting foreign entrepreneur, you know, a foreign entrepreneur that came here to the US and then he's been since then building and scaling companies. And we're going to be learning a lot about SaaS uh, and also about exits and as well raising money. So I guess without further ado, Pujan Kumar, welcome to the Deal Maker Show today. Thank you. Really excited to be here. So originally born and raised in India, I mean it's it's really amazing like the the great caliber of founders that I that I that I really meet you know from from India that are coming from India and and you know I guess you know the folks that are listening would like before we jump really into into your story with your companies let's let's really jump into into the, some of those early days because you were born and raised in India how was how was life there? Yeah, so I've uh, and I spent the first uh, you know call it half of my life at this point for the first twenty years uh, in India, right? Uh, I was born in uh, this city called Hyderabad, which is the fourth largest uh, uh, city in India and a lot of tech uh, at this stage. But if you if you look at, you know, if you, if you go back when I was born, uh, I don't think there was a lot of tech out there, uh, especially in, in Hyderabad. So a lot of humble beginnings. I was born in a, in a middle-class family, you know, grew, uh, grew up, uh, you know, in, in school there. And, and like every other, uh, you know, person, out there, you know, it was all about, okay, what you can do from a, from a career perspective, you know, long-term. And the first step for that was about getting into a great school uh, to educate yourself uh, from an undergraduate perspective. I was very lucky. I, I spent uh, a good amount of time, you know, in my early years, I would say, uh, you know, studying and, and, and got into a top school called uh, IIT, the Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, in the computer science division, just for perspective, right? Back then, and it's, it's even more competitive now, I'm sure, but, you know, back then there were only like five IITs and, uh, you know, about, I would say, 100,000 people, really qualified people wrote an exam. And maybe out of that, 150 out of them would get in into the computer science uh, division in across all the five IITs. So I was fortunate to be among, you know, the, the 150 people who, who got in uh, in computer science. And, and that obviously, you know, put a, a great foundation uh, to essentially, you know, learn a lot and, and really, you know, the rigor that IIT puts in uh, really helped me. I think it still continues to help me in my career today. But that was the Got first it. 20 years of my life. 
And just out of curiosity, why do you think that there's such great uh, entrepreneurs coming from India? And especially most of those have the engineering background. I mean, computer science seems to be like a really big thing there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has it is, it is become even, even, even bigger. And I think there's a lot of self-selection at some level is happening, if you see, right? Because the 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 top people across the country who essentially, you know, decide, unless obviously they go into a medical field and stuff like that, I'm specifically talking about engineering, the top folks who end up, you know, in the engineering uh, path, you know, end up going uh, in computer science. So naturally speaking, at least from a, you know, IQ perspective, there's obviously EQ side of life, but on the IQ side of life, you get a natural self-selection in uh, places and fields like computer science. That's really, really great. And then you decide to come to the U.S. to Stanford. Why? Why is that? Yeah, so that's again, you know, I, you know, I, I really believe in, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, you always need a little bit of luck in life. Uh, and obviously, hard work is needed, but you need a little bit of luck in life. So I was again very fortunate, I would say, consider myself blessed. Where, you know, after graduating from IIT, you know, out of you know all the IITs, even in the computer science uh, division, you probably have maybe four or five people show up in uh, a place like Stanford, uh, computer science. And I was lucky to be one of those uh, folks uh, to kind of get admitted into the Stanford computer science department. And I think that was, uh, I would say, the next level or at least a lot of the beginnings of the next level of my my career where not only I got to learn a lot in those two years, you know, doing my master's in computer science. I was never a PhD sort of a guy. I always believed and always liked to do you know, practical stuff uh, that had applicability into in real life. So two years of rigorous, again, Stanford education and also, you know, getting exposure to Silicon Valley and startups around you, I think definitely left a lasting impression for me, even after I've left Stanford, which has been almost 18 years now. So why going to Stanford and, you know, like having all of that unbelievable innovation? I mean, some of the most incredible companies have come out of Stanford you know, you, you still decide to, to do a little bit of corporate America. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's like Stanford, uh, to, to answer the question about Stanford, and obviously it's the number one school in my opinion, right, in computer science. And obviously there's yeah. other great schools, but uh, nothing nothing matches, uh, you know, Stanford in terms of the rigor they put you in. And, and also the location where Stanford is, where, you know, you essentially are you know, very early on kind of exposed to so many great startups coming out of Stanford and so many companies that uh, come to Stanford, right? So I think that was definitely a big driving force in terms of showing up in, in Stanford. And then, of course, uh, you graduate, and then that's when the real world starts. Well, let's talk about the real world. Yeah, so the real world for me, you know, it was interesting. So I spent uh, uh, 99 to 2001 in Stanford. So obviously, I saw all the, the good times, you know, leading to the boom in 2000 and the crash. Uh, in 2001 so by the time i graduated you know the the frenzy so to speak was uh, was over right and so uh, you know I, I really was you know a systems guy i'd done a lot of systems courses and and projects at stanford so i really wanted to go to a company that uh, does you know really you know difficult problems in systems and things like that so back then i had a couple of choices there was a small company called vmware back in the day and and there's this oracle in a database and so uh, looked at you know, both of those companies back then, you know, VMware was more of a startup, but I was like, you know, in a usual thing, immigration, this and that, who knew what VMware will become. So I basically, you know, ended up picking Oracle just because the database division had a lot of interesting work to do 
and I was very excited with the with the people that I met, uh, you know, back then. And so, so I ended up ended up at Oracle, and that was the beginning of I would say almost a ten year journey where, you know, I grew a lot, I learned a lot. I was also very lucky again. I I, I believe in being at the right place at the right time uh, to get an opportunity to work on something brand new in the first two years of my career, which ultimately became one of the most successful initiatives uh, at Oracle called Exadata, right? And that is, uh, I think, you know, everything I learned there in terms of what it takes to create a product, what it takes to market it, sell it, and and really, you know, run run a big team, I think has been a lasting influence in whatever I did in the next 10 years uh, of my professional life. Got it. So, I mean, obviously you had this experience with Oracle, this experience with VMware, and then you finally decide that it's your time. It's your time to go at it as an entrepreneur with Pernix Data. So um, why after so long, you know, why after so many years in corporate America did you decide it was, you know, time to, to maybe forego that nine to five paycheck and, you know, really put the risk and, um, and go at it? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, I always had, uh, I feel uh, that gene to, really go in and take some chances right even within oracle you know while everybody was working on uh in what oracle was known for i took my chances and said no i want to work on this new thing because i believe in, in this new thing because i think to be successful in life you have to be passionate about something you have to be good at at something right uh and then you take some chances right and so i think i that that chance worked out really well for me uh, but it was within a big company and so i always was ready and said okay you know, I, you know, at the right time and the right time, obviously uh, being an immigrant here, it's all about making sure that we have the, you know, the green card and in a way immigration situation worked out. That took a long time, obviously. But I think when all of that was sorted out, I was like, I'm ready to go to the outside world and try to do uh, what, you know, I did within the safeguard of a big company. Right. And that was my first foray into doing that. So in early 2012, after spending a couple of years at, at VMware, after Oracle, I decided to start my first company as a you know, founder CEO, and that was a company called Pernix Data, and that was essentially centered around you know big uh, change that was happening in enterprise data centers with flash replacing disks, and so we basically you know looked at that trend and and decided to build a software company around leveraging that change that was happening in data centers. And uh, got it, yeah. That, and obviously, at this point, you were a little bit uh, older in in your life. How old were you when you started Pernix Data? Yeah, Pernix Data was started in uh, in 2012, so about I was 32, 33 years old, somewhere in that. And uh, and 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 again, it was you know, lot lot of it is in in the enterprise world. I think you'll see that where you know very rarely do you see enterprise companies being started by somebody just out of school and things like that. You see that more in the consumer world. In the enterprise world, you do require you know, some big time, right? In terms of understanding, you know, not only building complex systems, what it takes to build it, what it takes to lead it, what it takes to create a business out of it. And that's why typically you see, and I'm sure you have talked to many of such entrepreneurs in the enterprise world, people start companies after that soak time and big time. So that's what my soak time and big time for 10, 12 years across Oracle and VMware. So for example, at the enterprise level, you know, let's say in your case, you know, at what point do you know that you're ready? Good, uh, good question. What point do you know when you're ready? I think a couple of things have to have to pan out, right? One is that have you really, you know, you know, seen creation of something and seen it 
you know, scale up to a certain level. I think you need to have some of that experience under your belt. And that's why I tell folks, right, it doesn't always have to be that you, you know, you start something. It's okay sometimes to join something early on because you get an opportunity to see the journey. Because, you know, starting companies, when you start companies, you have to be mentally prepared for it to be a minimum, right, at a minimum, right, eight to 10 year journey, right, if you're lucky obviously and you want you want to be there and that's at a minimum and then of course for the right companies there's no finish line so you you get yourself you know at a place where you're both passionate about an idea and you're willing to go all in and you have the expertise that you've seen how things grow and what are the signs to watch out for when you really you know are ready for for that idea and whether whether that idea has legs so all of that you know experience really really helps and really experience in terms of things that you've seen from the beginning is the most valuable. Got it. Got it. So then let's talk about, let's go back to Pernix data. So obviously, you know, you come out of, of your uh, rodeo in corporate and now you decide that it's your time to shine on your own. Uh, and obviously you have, you know, this concept, this idea that you're, that you want to execute on. So, so obviously the most important thing now is, is really understanding who you want to put around you. So what was that founding team like? Yeah, my founding team was really straightforward. You know, I had uh, uh, a buddy of mine uh, at Stanford. He pretty much graduated at the same time. And incidentally, he went to VMware. I went to Oracle. You know, I spent about a decade at at, uh, at Oracle. He spent all the time at VMware. And then I, I, I came back to VMware after Oracle. And so we kind of reconnected again. And so it was pretty much the two of us who essentially decided to to start the company. So it was him as the CTO and I was the CEO. So the two of you seem to be quite technical. Did that present any issues? Actually, no. We were, uh, you know, it's like, and that's the other thing, you know, I, I, I tell entrepreneurs who come and talk to me, right? In your founding team, you want uh, a team of folks, whether it's, you know, two, three, it doesn't matter what the number is. Let's just say it's, you know, two or three people. But you want that level of overlap between the folks. At the same time, you want a discrete thing that each person is bringing to the table. Again, ideally, right? You know, in an ideal world, that's what you want. And I think we had exactly that, right? If you kind of imagine us as two circles, uh, and, and and there was an overlapping part, clearly. Now, obviously, I was I was technical, he was technical, but he had gone, you know, very deep in terms of uh, technology. I had gone, you know, more broad, I would say, in terms of product and, and also marketing and, and, and sales and had built teams. So, you know, we, we had our, our parts of the Venn diagram, so to speak, that... Uh, that were non-overlapping, and then we had an overlapping part, and I think you need both of them. And so I think we had a perfect mix. So then what ended up being the business model here? Yes, it was a software company, and and again, a very similar, you know, conceptually similar business model to VMware. We would essentially go down and and sell, you know, to VMware deployments, a piece of software that would run uh, in servers and uh, and essentially accelerate, you know, storage. Right. So that was the, the fundamental business model of the software company. Got it. And you guys raised quite a bit of money for this. How much did you raise? Yeah, so that company had gone through three rounds of financing, uh, 7 million Series A, another 20 million Series B, and a $35 million Series C round. So overall, we had raised $62 million uh, over the four and a half years. The company grew from a couple of us to almost a couple hundred people when it got acquired uh, by Nutanix four and a half years later. That's amazing. And and in terms of the fundraising, I mean, this was your first time, you were a first-time founder. 
So obviously, when you're a first-time founder, it's not as easy as now, you know, with with your next venture, you know, where where people are kind of like throwing money at you because you've been able to prove yourself, and also because as an investor, you're not financing the education of the founder. So I guess uh, in your case, how did you leverage your networks in order to really get in front of the right people and close them? Yeah, so that was very hard, right? I, I think I'll be I'll be fooling folks if I'm saying uh, that it was a cakewalk. Obviously, from the outside, it looks like that, but you know, as as a first time entrepreneur, and in my case, as a first time CEO, also, you know, everything about it was hard and a very, very, very steep learning curve, right, uh, across the board, right, from a, from fundraising, obviously, to you know, essentially, you know, creating a business. So I would say, and 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 whenever I, I talk to other folks about this, also, I say the same thing, right? It is very, very hard. So obviously, you'll be very sure about what you're doing. But the other thing that you have to absolutely do, especially you know, if you're in a situation like like we were as first-time entrepreneurs, I think it's about surrounding yourself with the right people, right? And by that I mean that advisors to the company, investors to the company, board members. I think all of that is what you need because that's the only way you're going to you know kind of uh, make it in that steep learning curve. And so that's exactly you know uh, what we did, right? You know, one of my you know, mentors, and I've learned a lot from him, is Mark Leslie. He was the founder CEO of Veritas. You know, he's on the board of, like, all kinds of interesting companies in the last decade plus, including Nutanix and Pure and many others. And he was, you know, very early on, managed to get to him, managed to convince him on the idea, get him as an investor and as a, as a, and on the board. And that really helped, I would say. And we did the same thing across, you know, other folks in other areas, right? And that, I think that is is critical as a first-time entrepreneur. And obviously, you know, you just mentioned Nutanix. I mean, Nutanix ended up acquiring uh, the company, you know, so Permix Data. So, so I guess the, um, the, the question here, you know, for, for the business, when it came here with, with Permix Data to take a look at, at the outcome, you know, and, and running the M&A process and all of the, this good stuff, at what point do you guys, you know, decide that it makes sense to potentially explore doing an exit? And how did the um, the whole process kickstart? Was it because you guys received some inbound interest, or was it as a decision uh, at a board level? Or how? Tell us about this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think you know the four and a half journey was very interesting for us because you know the the objective with which I was building the company was never to really you know go and sell the company, and that was you know a decision not just mine but from a board perspective and all that. Given all the traction uh, we were seeing, right? In fact, we had. You know, we had a lot of acquisition offers along the way. I had an option to sell the company two years into the company. I had an option to sell the company three years into the company. But I never really looked at any of those inbounds that I had, right? And then ultimately, I would say, you know, four and a half years into the journey, it really came down uh, to the fact that it became very clear, uh, especially in our sector, where, you know, public cloud was really taking off and the momentum was really high with the public cloud. And we had obviously a, a company that was, you know, primarily based on the private cloud. And we hadn't reached that kind of scale. We were doing about a you know, $25, $30 million run rate business a year. But then it's like it wasn't at, at you know that you know that scale where you could essentially be an independent company. And so it became clear that the right home for Pernix is actually going to be a bigger company who can absorb the technology and integrate the technology and the product and also you know take advantage of all the awesome talent. Uh, we had built at Pernix. So so that was the the why of uh, looking at an outcome. And, and that's where we looked at, you know, 
some of the interesting companies around us, including Nutanix, who would be interested in this. And uh, you know, fortunately, Nutanix you know worked out. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the founder CEO there, which is you know Dheeraj Pandey. I've known him for a very long time, and it was the right home uh, from a people and technology perspective. So, how long did it take the process from beginning to end? I would say you know uh, probably took uh, uh, about two to three months uh, from the first conversation to when we really you know signed something, and another maybe couple months. Uh, to really you know, close the whole uh, M&A. That's amazing. And then you went to work for Nutanix. And obviously, you know, you're still even invested in, in Nutanix up until to now. So, I mean, what a, what a right and what a great outcome because, um, you know, I think it has doubled, you know, the price since, since the IPO. So so that's really fantastic. So, so I guess for, for this vesting and resting uh, period, uh, Pujan, with Nutanix, you were there for about a year and two months. So it took no time for you to say, I'm going to do this again. So uh, so tell us, how was this transition? How how tough was it for you to be kind of like handcuffed with like a, a bigger company? And how was the process to say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm out and I got to do my own thing again. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, and that, that's that been a lot of, uh, you know, internal thinking about, you know, what I should be doing. Uh, while I was there, you know, I actually did not do resting and resting in the sense that, you know, I started a lot of uh, new initiatives. Some of them are doing extremely well right now in Nutanix also. And so that year uh, and three months, uh, actually a year and a half, because, you know, it was really more than that because uh, of, the, of the time it took to close the acquisition. But in that year and a half, I spent a lot of time both uh, working on some new things uh, at Nutanix and, and jumping start, jump starting some of those new things. But also, at the end of the day, I was just thinking about, you know, where I want to really go. And I think ultimately, you know, if I wanted to continue in a, in a company, I would have stayed in Nutanix. I was really happy about, uh, you know, where things are going and how things, you know, were working out there. And obviously, uh, the founder there, I'm a big fan of him. But, uh, you know, fundamentally, the reason why, my why of leaving uh, was ultimately, you know, around why I was building Pernix in the first place, right? It was always about giving a shot at myself um, to really go and build a long-term independent company, right? That was the why, right? And I told myself that, you know, that why is still true, even if, you know, Pernix didn't work out that way. And that's fine. Not every company works out that way. But I owe myself a shot at doing it again. And there was a big, you know, shift that was continuing to happen in the enterprise sector with the move to the cloud. And so I, I felt combination of those reasons were a good reason for me to say, okay, I'm not getting younger. Uh, I'm going to be turning 40 very soon. I need to give myself a shot sooner than later. And so I ended up leaving to jumpstart Clumio. And at this point, obviously, with a family already, no? With wife, kids, or no? Yeah, if, uh, I had uh, my first uh, uh, while I was at Pernix. He's four years old now. And a second on the way, actually, in, in four weeks. Oh, very nice. So was your wife saying, come on, Pooja, t- take it easy, get that nine to five? <laughs> Actually, my wife is pretty interesting. I think she has her roots with her father being an entrepreneur also back in India. Okay. And so she's always been yeah. very supportive. She un- she understands, uh, you know, she knows me. We've been married for almost 12 years now. And she's been extremely supportive uh, of everything in Fatal. She's been an inspiration for me. It's like, go, you know, go do it. We'll figure it out. No problem. That's fantastic. That is fantastic, Pujan. So uh, shout out to your wife if she if she listens. So so I guess uh, here for Clumio, obviously you saw the um, the shift happening from in cloud, you know, in in the, in the enterprise. So so I guess what happened, you know, like you you really knew that this was the direction to follow. The idea that you needed to catch and execute 
So tell us about that moment where you say, I'm giving my notice and I'm going to build out this company. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, some of it was, you know, looking at, you know, where the market was. And I'm a fundamental believer then that anytime such a secular shift happens in the industry and there's a discontinuity in the sector, uh, which is happening in the enterprise as we speak, that leads to new opportunities and that leads to newer companies looking at, you know, the problem with a fresh new way. Right. And so that's exactly what happened uh, in my case also. Obviously, I had some inspiration with other companies like, you know, a good example I give is Snowflake Computing, which is a great company in the in the data warehousing space. And a lot of the fundamental reasons for Snowflake's success was really around going and building a next generation platform on the public cloud specific uh, to the use case that they were going after. And so my why for Clumio was really around the fact that the next generation of enterprise companies are going to be companies that are going to be building on top of the new infrastructure. And the new infrastructure is the public cloud, which is AWS, Azure, and GCP, similar to, logically similar to, you know, what you had in the in the on-premises world with like a Dell, Cisco, HP, right? That's really what you're going to see. And, 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 and the next generation of enterprise companies are going to be companies that are going to be building platforms delivered as a service on top of this new infrastructure. And that was the, the beginning of, uh, of, of Clumio and, and, and that was the why of Clumio. So Pujan, so I understand that here for Clumio, it, you were actually, you know, you went at it with, with two other co-founders. So, so can you tell me about how, how you managed to convince those and, and how did you guys, you know, go out and, and start it? Yeah, so I, uh, the, both the co-founders are, are folks that have been working with me for the last uh, 10 years. We were together at VMware. They were the first folks who joined Pernix. Uh, one of them uh, was the VP of Engineering, ultimately at Pernix. He's the VP of Engineering at Clumio. The other one was the Chief Architect at Pernix. He's the CTO at uh, at Clumio. And uh, same, same, the same logic work, right, which is find folks that are passionate about, you know, what you're passionate about. And again, they bring something unique uh, to the table. And, and this time, three circles versus two circles with uh, enough overlap, but at the same time, every person brings unique strengths to the table. So who, so who was bringing what to the table here? I would say, you know, uh, starting off with, uh, you know, my, my co-founder and VP of engineering, extremely technical, but at the same time has built, you know, large organizations and, and knows how to scale them. So that's Kostub Patel. He's my co-founder and VP engineering. Woon Jung, who's uh, my co-founder and CTO, Deep, deep, deep technical, you know, a guy who writes, you can write tons of code and design and stuff like that and really passionate about, uh, you know, building new technologies and really scaling them. So that's him. And then me overall, you know, with a product mindset and, um, you know, with enough of technical chops, but at the same time, a pretty broad in terms of, you know, marketing, sales and other functions. So then what were the early days like here? The early days were, uh, you know, like uh, like any other, uh, you know, startup companies early days should be. You know, first thing we did is we went and raised uh, a Series A round of financing because I'm a firm believer in, you know, you don't go and build stuff for the enterprise directly. If you have figured out the yeah. problem, if you, if you fundamentally think that the architecture is different, you go and raise money for it. And if somebody believes in you and your team and wants to put money in it, that's awesome. Otherwise, go and find something else. And the reason for that is that enterprise, you know, companies, you know, and platforms can't be built on a dime, right? You can't just have, you know, two or three, four people go and do it. You know, ultimately, if you see Clumio, right, we spent 
a year and a half and almost 40 engineers going and building the 1.0 of the platform. Obviously, that wouldn't have been possible without uh, a Series A investment. So that's the first thing we did. We got uh, a Series A round of financing based on our idea and our thoughts about the architecture and how it would be different and talking to customers and things like that. And then we, we, we went right to work. In fact, even I wrote code. Uh, everybody wrote code for the first uh, one year of the company. And then we have been scaling since then. And how different was, for example, this Series A uh, from the perhaps the Series A that you did with Pernix data? Well, a lot of lot of similarities uh, with the, with the one big difference of you know we we had a new investor you know his name is Mike Spicer he was the, also the early investor in the in a company I'm, I'm a big fan of Snowflake Computing so we intentionally went to him and he's a, he's a remarkable guy right one of the very unique VCs in the valley who essentially you know bootstraps companies and really understands what it takes you know for bootstrapping enterprise companies at very early scale right he did pure storage he did Snowflake Computing. And then, and then Clumio. So specifically went to him because I'm a big believer in, in learning, right? And you want to basically learn along the way. And, you know, he was, he was very instrumental in terms of making sure that, you know, we don't make the mistakes that maybe we made in the past or maybe other companies have made and really stay on course so that we can really build a long-term company here. And do you think it was a little bit easier to close this round because you were a proven full-cycle founder? Absolutely, right? I think this time, as I said, was... Uh, was very different, right? You know, I think, I, I would say, I think the big difference is now people are not seeing you as a first-time person. So obviously you get uh, more mileage out of it where people believe in this and believe in you and believe in your ability to do things. Obviously the idea and the market you're going after still has to make sense, but other parts become much easier. And you've raised quite a bit of money. How much money have you guys raised today? Yeah, so we started off with 11 million Series A back in October, 2017. We raised another 40 million Series B in November of 2018, and we just closed another 135 million of Series C in November of 2019. So in the last two years, we've raised about 186 million of financing. Wow. And most of that, actually, the Series B and the Series C, you literally raised both within the same year. Tell us about this. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I think a lot of it is because if you look at fundamentally in our sector, Every person is trying to make a pivot into the cloud, whether it's an engineer, you know, who has built great platforms, you know, looking to learn and, and make a pivot to the cloud, whether it's a, it's, a, it's a seller, whether it's a marketeer, a support person, or whoever it might be. And that's fundamentally what's happening from, a, from an investor side also, right? You know, folks who have, you know, made a lot of money investing in, in companies built in the data center, software and hardware, are looking at where the world is going over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And they're essentially making a pivot and really saying, okay, what are the next generation platforms we need to go and invest in that are really building stuff and difficult stuff, right? Things that are not easy to go and build. Because if you do something that's easy to do, then once you get success, anybody can, can replicate it, right? But really go after platforms that are hard to do, but at the same time, have a big market ahead of them. And that's the reason why you know, the space has gotten a lot of excitement and obviously we have executed well, you know, in terms of after, after coming out of stealth, when, when, when we went to VMworld, we won the best of show at VMworld. So a lot of recognition to the company and, you know, great people behind the company across the board and the fact that we are building something innovative for the long term has attracted all the capital. And, and today, Clumio, what does it look like and how do you guys make money here? Yeah, so we are, uh, we are a SaaS, SaaS platform company. 
uh, going after uh, a, a big use case around data protection, really protecting customers' data across on-premises, in cloud applications, and, and other SaaS data sources. And the way we basically make money is essentially customers use our platform. They essentially pay us depending you know, on the workloads that, are, that they're protecting, and they pay us on a subscription business model. And that's how you know we make our money. Mm. Interesting. And one of the things that I saw as well is that you guys have been growing like crazy. I mean, obviously, once you get the money, you need to deploy. And you guys have been definitely deploying on people. I mean, in the last year, I see on LinkedIn that you guys have grown 259%. So I want to know two things here. One, how do you go about recruiting so many people in such a short period of time? And then how do you make sure that while you're still growing very fast, you're still making sure that you're making sure that that culture is still intact. Yeah, so I think in terms of, uh, you know, we've been fortunate in terms of getting, you know, people in the company because, you know, folks see us as a company that they can come and do the best work, you know, of their life and learn a lot in terms of the cloud and, and things like that. So it's been good in terms of attracting, you know, great talent uh, in the company. And obviously it helps in terms of having the stability, of, of the funding and things like that, because at least people know that you're going to be, you know, around and and, and have the ability to go and execute uh, on things. So that's been uh, that's been fantastic, and I think you know, obviously, we're just scratching the surface in terms of uh, where we are, and the fact that there's so much to go and do in the future also helps in attracting you know great talent uh, to the company. Uh, in terms of your uh, you know other question in terms of keeping the culture and all of that, I think we 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 take a lot of pride at. You know, how we operate, right? If you come to Clumio, you know, a lot of smart people, but really very humble and very down to earth, right? You know, we believe in, in, you know, kind of, you know, keeping it that way and, and really have a culture of, uh, you know, making things, you know, extremely, you know, transparent so that, you know, you truly get an opportunity to understand, you know, what's happening, you know, across the company, right? You know, tools like Slack have helped us big time. We essentially have, you know, a pretty flat structure that way where every seller out there in the field also on a weekly basis updates the entire company in terms of all the customer meetings he or she is having and what are they seeing out there. So engineers sitting out there writing code directly is hearing from, you know, sellers out there. So a lot of elements like that that we have deployed have really helped us. Got it. And I guess uh, in terms of growth, I mean, we're talking about the growth of the of the company and and also the employees, no. But I guess say uh, for for you, for you, Pujan. I mean, for you, you have been you you you've needed to grow at the same pace. So if if you're growing, let's say your team by two hundred and fifty nine percent, you need to grow as well as a leader by two hundred and fifty nine percent. So I guess in this case, what measures do you have in place or safeguards so you're making sure that you're learning at the same speed yeah i think uh, and that that has been an important part of my own life in the last seven years i would say you know like the pujan who started pernix and the pujan who you know sold uh, pernix four and a half years later was very different right and people who have known me they've seen uh, the growth and the same thing is true now right where you know a couple of years ago we started clumio and again what did we know to go and build a SaaS company in the cloud we've never done that ourselves so there was a lot of learning and that is what keeps you real. I think the fact that you're doing newer things and you're learning along the way with other people, I think is key to make everything real at the end of the day and keep you grounded, right? And being involved in every part of, of the growth, you know, 
from you know from hiring every individual to making sure that you know they are being heard and and making sure that you are constantly communicating with the entire company are the ways that you essentially you know are growing because it's, you know you're surrounding yourself with you know really really smart people and and that only works if you are essentially engaged you know all the time and also i guess if you're able as well to to reflect because when when you uh, reach really success or you accomplish those milestones it means that you've obviously failed enough times or have made enough mistakes to really continue learning you know and and and, and pushing yourself uh, forward so in this case uh, yourself pujan where let's say you fail or you make a mistake how do you look back and reflect so that you are able to really bounce back you know with a lot of you know power uh, towards the future i think the you know mistakes are bound to happen right i think the the key is you know how do you learn from them and how do you bounce back and i think one of the things is very important is you know letting people around you point out you know things that uh, you know are not you know going well or you know ability to you know give them a voice so that they can essentially you know help guide you so that you can essentially you know fix things i think that all of that is what you have to do and and the key is you have to do it in a very consistent manner right you have to keep doing you know day in and day out and and all the actions that you yourself you know do every day has to reflect you know that kind of thinking right so i think it really you know i th- i think it helps i would say in terms of uh, you know being being grounded and then in in my case also it it does help the fact that i've done you know one before and so i've come out of that learning a lot i've thought about a lot of those things and you obviously have folks like mark lesley even like he's on the board of clumio again and folks like him that i talk to all the time so that i'm reflecting upon some of these things so that i'm making sure that you know i'm only improving and getting better day by day that's very profound very profound pujan and and one thing here is a uh, like for example like where you're really executing and and where you guys are at with clumio which is really a enterprise saas where do you think enterprise saas is is going as a whole Yeah, I think every interesting enterprise company of the future is going to be a SaaS company, and 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 that SaaS company is going to be built in the in the public cloud. I think you're going to see that across everything. You're already seeing that over the last fifteen twenty years, and you're going to see much more now because the public cloud is only becoming making it much easier for SaaS companies to be born. Because before that, like Salesforce had to build go and build data centers around the globe, right, to deliver Salesforce. You no longer do that. thanks to the public cloud so i think that's what you're going to see you know more and more over the next you know 10 20 years and beyond and one of the questions that i typically ask here um pujan is knowing what you know now i mean it's it's been an incredible journey for you i mean with pernix data now with clumio also what you've learned in in large corporations i mean it's unbelievable so i think that if you had that opportunity to speak to your younger self maybe that pujan that uh, that was uh, about to launch you know uh, his first business um if you had the opportunity to have a conversation and and perhaps share one piece of business advice before before launching a, a company what would that be and why knowing what you know now yeah absolutely i think you know one and, and and this is true for me personally so the the pujan that started pernix always felt that nothing could go wrong right nothing could go wrong ever right that's the mindset which again you need that right and, and any entrepreneur needs that kind of mindset that he's right and that's the only way to take the kind of risks that that you take but at the same time it's very important you know while you're looking further out and 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 that vision 5 years later and you think you're you're going to be right it's important to look 
you know what's happening right now and 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 in the next 3 months and the 6 months so that that dichotomy is what you have to manage at all times right looking at 5 years and looking at what's right now looking at 5 years and looking at right now and again if you really are looking at things happening you know right now you know and you 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 really do figure out and understand that yes you know not everything will go as perfect as you imagine it to be and and that dichotomy is what you know if i am talking to my younger self i would manage it better if i were doing it all over again that's very powerful very powerful pujan so for the folks that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi uh a lot of people reach out to me on linkedin i think that's great uh, you know i think linkedin is generally the the best way and again i'm i'm all about giving back to the community so i try to help anybody and everybody i can uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective so so yes if you have uh, you know something that i can help with always reach me out over linkedin amazing well pujan thank you so much for being on the deal maker show today thank you very much really appreciate the time if you like the show make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you could leave a review as well that would be fantastic And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.